Welcome to Keynotes from Cornell University. On today's episode, we're discussing a lot of people's biggest fear. That's right, public speaking with David Felshu, a professor of theater. Professor Felshu also happens to be faculty author of the Online Executive Presence Certificate Program at Cornell and has the distinction of not only being a trained actor, but also an MD. Great to have you in today, David. It's Thanks. been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> nice, nice to see you. It is. It's great to see you. And, and I want to kind of take a little step back for folks. So you're a medical doctor, but also a trained actor as well. How did you get into acting? Well, I got into acting. It's kind of relevant to what we're talking about today, because mm -hmm. I want to take us back just for a moment, all the way to the time <laughs> when I was uh, probably about six years old. And somebody asked me to be on stage and I had a line. You may know this mm -hmm. poem. I think that I shall never see a poem as lovely as a tree. Mm-hmm. And I had that line, and I forgot the word tree. I okay. never wanted to be in front of people ever, ever again. And my father was a very successful and effusive trial lawyer. Mm -hmm. So I had this tug of my own anxiety and my, the model of my father. And I was a very shy child. And I really wasn't into theater at all until I finally tried out for the radio station when I went to college at Dartmouth College. WDCR 1340 on your dial in Hanover, New Hampshire, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then I tried out for a play, and then I managed to get into drama school, and then I became a professional actor at the Guthrie Theater, a prominent theater in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And then I started doing more and more directing. And then after about 10 years, I decided it might be time to use some of these creative resources. Initially, I thought I was going to become a psychiatrist and use all these kind of theatrical techniques, but I ended up going into emergency medicine. So I went to the University of Minnesota, and then I did my residency at Level 1 Trauma Center, and I spent some years there prior to coming to Cornell. Mm -hmm. So my background really was very linear, and it was an attempt to deal with a few things. I loved adrenaline. <laughs> Okay. And that has something to do with what we're talking about, because adrenaline can have two sides to the coin. It mm -hmm. can really get you focused. It can get you energized, but it also can be crippling if it gets overwhelming. And mm -hmm. then you're dealing with the whole question of so-called stage fright, or mm -hmm. the fancy way of putting it is performance anxiety. When did you first start thinking about this concept of executive presence and somewhat kind of calming down that anxiety a little bit, or dealing with it rather? Well, it, it started as a course at Cornell called mm -hmm. Acting in Public. Mm -hmm. And the idea was to take actor training techniques that I had studied in drama school and apply them to everyday performance. Mm -hmm. So the first thing you want to think about is that there are a lot of performances and people listening to us today and watching us, mm -hmm. you are a better actor than you think. Because every mm -hmm. time you order a cup of coffee, that is a script. Mm -hmm. And if you want a cup of coffee with cream and sugar and somebody gives you a cup of coffee with just cream, you know your performance has not been successful. Very it's, it's very obvious. But repeating a script again and again is a kind of performance. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about how can, for example, going into an interview or meeting someone or in a situation like this be considered a performance? And how is it useful to approach that in a way that you can train people to be more effective. And I, I do want to emphasize that when we talk about executive presence, or at least when I do, I'm not talking about anybody modeling themselves on someone else. Okay. You don't have to be an oratorical speaker or any way that you are, you mm -hmm. can have executive presence because ultimately 
Executive presence is about a relationship. Can you make the other person feel as if they are the most important person in the room and that you really want to connect with them, that you believe in what you're saying and you want them to get it? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what your accent is. It doesn't matter whether you speak even loudly or softly as long as you can be heard. Mm -hmm. If you really can speak with a purpose and this kind of training is not magic. When you think of public speaking, the reason, one of the reasons it's frightening is it seems like a, it's like you mm -hmm. don't know what is going on there. It's a skill set. There's a series of skills that you can get to mm -hmm. give yourself a way to move past the fear into connection. And I know we're going to talk about a little bit acting in public a little bit later, but I want to kind of draw on your expertise as an MD very, very quickly. Um, so why do you think most people get anxious when they're thinking about public speaking or getting up in front of a large crowd? There's a number of reasons, and I'd like to look at two categories of reasons because both of those categories can be dealt with through mm -hmm. skills and through training. So the first thing is, let's say you're getting up in front of a crowd, or not even a crowd, a few people, and you feel anxious and you go in through a door. What are you imagining? that makes you feel anxious? What's the worst thing that could happen? Ooh, I think for me, it would probably be stumbling through words or stumbling through right. my script or something All like right. that. All right, so you say, hi, I'm my, my name is Nick. All right, so then you keep going. All right, so then what Then, then what happens? So what happened? That's not so bad. You, you just go past that. It's yeah. a little embarrassing, but so what? What's next? I feel like it would probably snowball from there. Like Just what? get worse and worse and worse. My boss would see it. They'd be like, this person's no good on camera. We got to find somebody else. And it's Great. Like, so, so what would they do to you then? They'd probably get rid of me at that yeah, point. So they'd fire you. Okay, so now you don't have a job. Now what happens next? Yeah, now I'm homeless. And, yeah, okay. You know. So that actually is called, that train of thinking is often subconscious, and that's called a catastrophic expectation. And it may seem silly or absurd, but it's not unreal. It mm. is true that to imagine because you stumble on a word, you're suddenly going to be homeless mm -hmm. is, does not make rational sense. But we're dealing with the irrational and sometimes the subconscious. So that's one thing, is to look at what it is you're telling yourself that is arousing this anxiety in you. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, rather than ask why you're feeling this, or even how, in terms of physiologically, adrenaline and stress hormones and that type of thing, it's how can you deal with this? And the mm -hmm. answer is you have a body and you have a mind. And to me, the body is one of the most useful ways to deal with mm -hmm. stage fright, fear, fear of public speaking, performance anxiety. Why? Mm -hmm. Because if you become aware, Right now, as we finish this, this podcast, when you feel anxious, what is your body doing? So mm -hmm. usually what's going to happen is the first thing you're going to do is not breathe. Now you'd say, what are you mm -hmm. kidding me? Because I, I, I wouldn't be vertical. But not really breathe. If you really put your hands right here on your chest and you take a deep breath, that is really breathing. You'll find that you start breathing more shallowly. Mm -hmm. You start uh, tensing up in various places. You can learn to breathe. You can learn how to take tension. And the way you take tension is to find it, exaggerate it, breathe and release it. Mm -hmm. you've, you've heard of, many people have heard of these various things that anybody in any kind of performance, including athletes and musicians, use before they perform. Mm -hmm. These can be used methodically, repeatedly, 
and with more and more ease to get you to relax. Then the other aspect is mentally. How do you okay. clear your mind? And to me, thinking thoughts, people will say, imagine that they, the audience is whatever. Often that doesn't do any good. It's like kind of me sticking my finger in this, in this cup of water, expecting for me to make the water more smooth. It's not going to work. It's just going to disrupt it. Mm -hmm. The idea is to be present, to have executive presence. You need to learn how to be present. Mm -hmm. I have to be there with you. Mm -hmm. Even if I don't want to be here <laughs> with you, I have to be here with you. So the question is, how do you empty your mind? Mm -hmm. What techniques, skills, not magic, can you use to clear your body of tension, to mm -hmm. empty your mind of thoughts that might, in a way, self-sabotage you before you engage in an everyday mm -hmm. performance? It's funny you mentioned breathing. I mean, I know in the past when I did a lot of television work, I always had to take a breath real quick and get myself ready for the live shot, look over the script a couple times just to, you know, just to lock it in and everything like that. So for those folks out there who are getting ready for a presentation or getting ready to present in front of some folks, what's kind of that first thing that you would have them do before they get up on stage? I know for me, one of the biggest things that helped me, like I said, was take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Like, you'll be fine. What's maybe one thing that you would say, make sure to do this before you get up there? So I'm going to move us into another thing, which is obvious, but not always done. And the answer is mm -hmm. practice. Okay. And not just practice, you're mm -hmm. going to say where you're going to say it. So if I were walking up on stage, think of all the things that could go wrong. You could trip okay. over those steps. <laughs> you could come to the podium and the microphone, you've seen people struggling with the microphone. <laughs> Very much so. It, it does not inspire confidence to see a person do that. What you want to do is practice, practice, practice so you can forget practice. So mm -hmm. it seems totally spontaneous, even though you've done it X number of times. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, if you're going to do improvisational work, it's a different situation. But that's the first thing. The second thing is, can you create a little ritual for yourself? Mm -hmm. I think of some golfers or some people shooting foul shots mm -hmm. or musicians. Something that you can come back to again and again mm -hmm. that can allow you to get back here, right here without the tension in your body and the tension in your mind. Mm -hmm. It might be breathing. I always, I don't joke about this, but one of the activities that I do in my class, believe it or not, is panting like a dog. It's silly. It's weird. You mm -hmm. can't think and breathe mm -hmm. at the same time. Okay. It's also <laughs> great if you need to go back to sleep in the middle of the night and you have insomnia. Breathing will clear your mind. And... That's one thing I would do. And the other thing I would do is make some movement. Mm -hmm. For example, you can wiggle your toes. You can hide that. And you can take all that tension in your toes or even in your hands mm -hmm. and then release that. So that even if you're hidden right there, so you take that tension, you magnify it, release it, you inhale, mm -hmm. and you go on stage. And with that, one of the big things you talked a little bit about was kind of practice and, you know, practice obviously makes perfect. How important is it to record ourselves when we're prepping for standing in front of an audience? Yeah, I think it is important. I think it's important to re people say, don't record yourself. You become self-conscious. Okay. Dealing with self-consciousness is a skill set. You can <laughs> deal with that and you deal with it by really getting into the performance. Mm -hmm. So I think it's useful to record yourself, but it 
is terrifying. And in this course, the eCornell course, and in the live course I teach at Cornell, it's really tough in the sense that you're not used to being recorded. You're not used to hearing your own voice. You sound miserable. You think you look miserable. You don't. It's, it's most important to you. But if you do that again and again and again, trying out different skill sets, you will become comfortable with yourself and you'll be able to see, oh, I see. During that little talk, I said, oh, that's called a filler. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, I think, uh, well, uh, so once you learn that you use fillers, there mm -hmm. are ways you can not use them, mm -hmm. but you have to have the awareness first. And that's what the video gives you. And I do have a follow-up on that regarding the fillers, but I did want to uh, just make sure I went to an audience question. We just got one submitted in from SL. So Great. SL asks, my fear is up speaking or vocal fry tendencies. How can we be more conscious of this so that when we speak, we sound confident and clear in our speech? Well, vocal fry, I'm going to interpret that as meaning a kind of graveliness in the voice, mm -hmm. which I believe I have. And for example, an actor like George C. Scott has. So the first question is, if by vocal fry, that's what we mean, that, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. the question is, is that working for you or against you? Is that, it's not per se, it's, one could argue that that sh is showing a lack of breath support or that you can mm -hmm. breathe more and you can take what's called a catch breath. So if I am losing breath and I'm getting more and more, raspy, again, assuming that we're agreeing on the definition of vocal fry, mm -hmm. if I take what's, what's called a catch breath, and I can do it for you right now, you do the exercise one, two, three, four, five, six. One, mm -hmm. two, three, four, four, five, six. You don't, you keep that breath support. Mm -hmm. Now, there's something else that is, I think, counter-expressive, and that's called devoicing. That's not mm -hmm. quite the same thing, even though you kind of go, can go into a vocal fry at the end of this. So mm -hmm. let's say you're going to say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and somewhere about seven, you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> so you're dropping your breath support. You're dropping, it's called devoicing. Okay. Now, the problem is in English, frequently the most important word is at the end of the sentence. Mm -hmm. So again, this exercise of taking a quick breath, even a hidden breath. So if I say to be or not to be, that is the question. So I want to take a breath so I can support that last, that last word mm -hmm. and that I don't say, so very nice to meet you. you know, I'm really <laughs> not really nice. It's not, doesn't sound like it's nice to meet you because I've let the breath disappear. So I hope that it responds to the question. It's a great question. Yeah. Thank you, SL, for submitting that question. And I want to kind of get back to um, this idea of kind of fillers and recording ourselves. So for those folks out there who do record themselves in preparation for their speeches, what's maybe one or two things that they should look for when they're recording themselves and say, maybe I should change that a little bit? Okay. Well, there's a lot. <laughs> but I think the main thing would be, do I look as if I'm having fun? <laughs> now, what does the word fun mean? It means that I'm expressive. Mm -hmm. It means that I'm not uptight. It means that I'm responsive. If somebody says something to me, I see them. Mm -hmm. I don't simply, what's called railroad, keep going no matter what. Okay. And so that you know, there could be a, somebody screaming in the audience, I'm just keep going. <laughs> and I, because I'm not really awake to what's going on. So mm -hmm. 
Do I look as if I'm having fun, as if I'm loose, but not in a way floppy, that I'm, I have intensity without tension? And the other thing would be, do I make clear points and make room for a dialogue? So what does that mean? Let's say that I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, the first thing I think we need to do is buy a new store. Mm -hmm. Now, I think the first store, so after the word store, there's this slight pause. But people mm -hmm. often talk about pausing and looking at people. You pause for a reason. You pause to give the other person silently mm -hmm. a chance to participate. And that's why, that is how you connect. We, I said at the beginning, can you make the other person feel important? Well, the way you make them feel important is you don't railroad over them. Mm -hmm. If you watch really effective speakers, no matter how they speak, they somehow feel and look as if you are included in what they're saying. So that's one thing I would look for. And you talked a little bit about this before we you know, went live, but you mentioned the difference between just simply talking at an audience versus actually connecting with them. Can you go a little bit into that distinction between, you know, just... Presenting in front of Absolutely. a group of people versus, hey, we have that connection. So let's say I have four score and seven years ago, Gettysburg Address. Mm -hmm. If I'm reciting that four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, mm -hmm. it's, it's flat, it's monotone, it's monotempo. Mm -hmm. Or if I said, I'm, say I'm giving you directions, I want you to go down the hall, take a left, take a right, go down the stairs. I'm not really trying to do anything with you in terms of making a connection. I want you to go down this hall, go down the stairs, okay. and then go to the right. Now I'm trying to engage you in that information. I'm not simply spouting it off. Mm -hmm. It's the difference between something being spoken for a purpose that involves the other person. And the purpose might be, I really want you to get this. This is important information. Mm -hmm. You have to believe it's vital information and that it's important for them to get it. And you simply reading it. And that's when you read it, you get this kind of monotone, flat, unconnected, no pauses. And it, but again, no pauses for purpose. The mm -hmm. purpose is, are they getting it? So right now, for example, I'm watching you shake your head up and down. Mm -hmm. So I'm taking that in and then I'm playing off of that. Mm -hmm. So one way you could do this the folks out there, let's say you have a few friends and you want to practice a speech. Have them, there's a couple of ways this exercise can, can work. Have them hold up a, a hand and you look at one of them and say a, a line from your speech, from your talk. Mm -hmm. And if they feel that you're connected with them, they put down their hand. Mm -hmm. Then the next person puts up their hand and you look there and then you look there and then you look there. So you mm -hmm. do not leave that person until they put down their hand and they feel that you've spoken to them. So that's a very simple exercise that can remind you that you're moving from person to person. I know that they say, look at this person in the eye, then look at that person. Mm -hmm. That's only half of it. The most important part is the reason you're looking at them is you want them to get it. And you mm -hmm. don't want to leave them until you know that they've gotten it. Mm -hmm. So Laura submitted her question. She asked, I have a big speech in front of a large group of people. I'm using a teleprompter for the first time. Any tips for speaking when using a teleprompter? Yes. Be, so 
forgive me if all of this is too elementary. The first thing is practice because teleprompter mm -hmm. is a completely different situation. It's, it's brutal. It, but it can be better than looking down at a piece of paper than looking up, which is also very difficult. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is practice. But the second thing is format your speech. I don't know how long your speech is yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, what I mean by that is, let's say you say, hello, good to see you. I want to see in that teleprompter a huge hello. Mm -hmm. And then maybe in italics, good to see you. Mm -hmm. And then you might say, the first thing I want to say, colon, new paragraph, right in the middle, mm -hmm. is we need to buy avocados. Mm -hmm. So that you actually score your text graphically so that when you look at it, it suggests how you're going to actually deliver it. Mm -hmm. And the third thing that is really important is you have to work with the person that's running that teleprompt. Very true. Because otherwise, they're going to be, <laughs> and you're going to be left in the dust, or you're going to be waiting there for them. So it's a duet. You have mm -hmm. to think about this as a song and with a score, mm -hmm. and you're going to practice that with all those elements. I think a teleprompter can be great. But the whole idea is for you not to look as if you're reading, mm -hmm. for you to look as if you are more or less thinking this up. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand it may be numbers and all this kind of thing. So it's people know you're, you're using some support, but it's the spontaneity of it. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you a quick story. My daughter went to the University of Michigan, and so she got good grades. So she was on the stage when Obama spoke there, mm -hmm. and Obama used a teleprompter. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you exactly, I'm paraphrasing, but he came to a place, he said, and then I think we need to do this. Now, isn't that a kick in the head? <laughs> or he said something like that, that sounded completely spontaneous. That was all on the teleprompter. Oh, wow. So this is what I, this is my advice. Think about using the teleprompter mm -hmm. as a, a delivery cue, a graphic delivery cue for you that allows you to really come to life. Mm -hmm. Rather than flatten you out, one of the advice, you know, reading from a teleprompter. That's what you do not want to do. Yeah. One of the big things I found in the past using teleprompters is it helped to kind of write in my own voice because everybody talks different. Everybody writes different. So it's like, you know, to have those cues is, is huge. Absolutely. Even I'm listening to you. I'm just listening to your pitch change here. Mm -hmm. So you might actually change if you needed that prompt, mm -hmm. you might actually change the font at that point. So feel artistically free to create some sort of graphic delivery score that will help you come to life. And I just got a great audience question, but I want to make sure I uh, got to this question. So when we were, you know, talking about this conversation and, you know, talking about some of the questions and everything, you had mentioned that a lot of people are comfortable talking in front of maybe two or three people. It's when you get to 10, 20, right. 100. That's when they really struggle. Why do you think that is? Frankly, I think it's that catastrophic expectation again. It seems as if a hundred people are going to do you in faster and more fully than three people. But it's really all in your own mind. Separate why it is to how you're going to deal with it. Mm -hmm. I go back again to performance anxiety is self-imposed. Mm -hmm. So the question then becomes how? It's self-imposed frequently through the body by tension, 
Find out where your tension is. Look at yourself. You ask what you might do if you're videoing yourself and practicing. Is there a part of me that looks tense? Do I feel tense? Can I take that part and then exaggerate it like my shoulders and then drop it? Mm -hmm. And then can I use my breath to clear my mind? Because then my mind, instead of all these thoughts or concerns about the past or the future, mm -hmm. you can use that to bring yourself to the present moment. I know it's a very Zen idea, but this is what actors have to do. But think about it. This is what any athlete has to do. Anybody mm -hmm. who's going to maximize their performance mm -hmm. can't be worried about the mistake they just made. Yeah, of course. Or worried about, oh my gosh, if this doesn't work out all right, it's going to be a disaster. You have to be there now. The next thing is to try to make the other person more important than you are. Okay. So part of anxiety is, is you thinking you're the center of attention. Mm -hmm. You want to make them the center. And part of the way is what we, I said previously. If I'm going to talk to you, mm -hmm. I make sure that my breath, which is riding, my voice is riding my breath, is going right to your left eye, directly to your left eyebrow. Then I see somebody else and it's going there. So I'm getting out of my head. It's like me throwing a, a ball. Mm -hmm. It's there. If you can get yourself to make them more important than you are, sequentially, your anxiety will disappear. And that is why people frequently say, I was really anxious and then I got into it and then it disappeared. But you can do this consciously and you can know that it can be done consciously by practice so you can forget practice and then focus, focus, focus on them rather than yourself. That was one thing I struggled with for a long time was taking a quick breath, relax, take it easy. It'll be fine. I knew that if I got through the first 10 seconds, I'd be all right. My news director wouldn't come down on me. But I did want to follow up with uh, SJ's question. So SJ submitted a great question kind of along this line. So SJ asked, how can someone who is an introvert embrace public speaking and make it ownable in a way that feels authentic to themselves? but still delivers on communicating to a group of people with ease. So those introverts out there. <laughs> okay. I, I think that's a great question. And I really wish we were together or mm -hmm. I could see you because I could give you very specific things. But first, let me say that there is no right way to speak, extroverted or introverted. There is either speech that is connected or it is not connected. So you mm -hmm. could have a very... I'll get a little closer to the mic. You could have a very soft voice mm -hmm. and still want to be heard by this person because you have something important to say. You don't have to become huge mm -hmm. to, be, to have presence. You have to have purpose. And I've seen people who, people, some people would say, this person is not a good speaker, not because they were introverted or not, just because they swallowed their words. Mm -hmm. Maybe they were... In one case I can think of, unfortunately, it was at a funeral and the person was very upset, but they had such a desire to say what they had to say that you were riveted to them. There's not, a, it's not about being like somebody else. It's, it's about making sure that you know why you're saying what you're saying, how you're trying to affect the other person, and that you believe what you're saying, regardless of whether you're introverted or extroverted. Now, I can imagine if you were here in the room, I might say, are you breathing? In other words, it's one thing to be introverted and it's another thing to not breathe. Mm -hmm. So, but that's true if you're extroverted also. So the, I would look at my breathing just to, as a kind of 
working what's called from the outside in. How can you make sure, for example, let's say you have a speech of 50 lines mm-hmm. and you want to practice it. Actually make a mark. I'll do this. I'll make a mark like an opera singer. I'm going to inhale here. I'm going to inhale here. I'm going to inhale here. And that way, that inhale, inspiration, inhale, inspire, that inhale will get me then to focus on a new person and share that that new person. I hope I started to answer that question. No, no, that was perfect. And one of the things I'm thinking about when we're thinking about connecting with the audience and everything like that, how should we think about our presence when we are thinking about different audiences? So I'm thinking about connecting with our coworkers, for example, that we might know intimately versus a random group of people. Does that make a difference when we're thinking about That's a tough presence? Because there's also cultural differences that different audiences expect different forms of behavior. And that demands some research, especially if you're traveling internationally. Mm -hmm. But in terms of what you want, how you want to behave in front of other people, yes, Mm -hmm. it is a different performance. So let me take that metaphor and extend it. You might be wearing a different costume. You might be wearing a suit in one case and not a, a tie in another or a skirt or not a skirt. Who knows what? Mm-hmm. You might get close to the, the people to whom you're speaking or mm-hmm. stay further away. That all has to do with a fancy word is proxemics. What's the appropriate distance between people? But the essential thing is the same. Are you seeing them? Are you, do you believe what you're saying? And are, give, are you giving yourself the time and the space to mean what you're saying, to transfer vital information and genuine emotion? And that can be learned so that you don't rush and you don't rush over the things that I know you believe in. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it may come out as if you don't because you're rushing it. And we just got a great question in. Harnett asks, any tips for virtual presentations where you can't grasp the audience's reaction? So it looks like they're hosting a large webinar for the organization. So you touched on this a little bit where, you know, have somebody's hand up, look yeah. at them for a little while. That, tips. that is tough. I mean, it's tough to do a one-sided uh, presentation. Mm-hmm. But I do think that if you have to do a large online Zoom, et cetera, presentation, Again, I would practice it and look at your text itself. Look at where you want things to land. It's the fancy way of of saying it, like a joke. A joke lands. And that means it needs a little more space there. So I would score if it's useful to you. And the reason I say if it's useful, you may be brilliant. If if so, this everything I'm talking about is technique. It's mm-hmm. when things aren't working for you, what mm-hmm. can you do then? So I would score your text. I would make sure that what elements are really vital and circle those, take a pause after certain specific things, because in a way, you're working in a vacuum. And what you're going to have to do is pretend, as you're practicing, that you're both sides of this communication. So Q submitted a question. I'm going to get your MD background on this one as well. So uh, Q asked, What's a good technique to control body temperature? My blood pressure seems to rise and I start sweating, especially when I engage with the audience, i.e. during Q&A sessions. Wow. So I think it's a kind of chicken and the egg thing. I'm talking, maybe I can come up with this answer because I don't have an immediate answer. 
Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're having some sort of fight or flight response, which is an okay. adrenaline response. Mm-hmm. And this rise in temperature is is part of that. It's probably, it may or may not be. One thing that would be interesting, at least it would be interesting to me, <laughs> is actually to take your temperature and see if your temperature is higher. Because it may not be. It may be that you feel as if hotter because your blood vessels near your skin are dilating or getting wider. You're getting red, red in the face, and you're feeling more heat. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily that your core temperature is higher. So it all goes back again, I think, to your ability to, to use your body, use your breath to get yourself out of any kind of performance anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of things. Instead of going from uptight, go to down loose. Instead of not breathing, pant. In, what, do whatever you can. Wiggle your toes. Hide it behind the, the podium. Mm-hmm. So I can't tell you exactly how to lower your temperature, but I can say that this is probably part of a, a constellation of symptoms that have mm-hmm. to do with a physiologic response to anxiety mm-hmm. and by dealing with some of these things, especially, by the way, before you go on stage. That's really important. If you can loosen up, if you can clear your mind, if you can get present before you go on stage and keep breathing and keep focused on the other person, I know I'm repeating myself, Mm -hmm. I suspect that some of these things won't happen. Mm -hmm. There's a research study in there. But you know, maybe there maybe there are other members of our audience who have a better answer than I I gave. I'd be curious to hear it. Yeah, I would too. And you touched on this a little bit at the beginning when we um, first started our session here. But I wonder if you could go a little bit into um, acting in public. You had mentioned that term a little bit in the beginning. Well, I think that the name of this course that I teach at Cornell is acting in public performance in everyday life, and it goes back mm-hmm. to some various theories and and scholarly areas of interest that have to do with looking at many things that we do in life as a theatrical performance. Even though usually when we think of a theatrical performance, we think perhaps of actors being phony, but Mm -hmm. that's not it at all. Actors really know how to be real Mm -hmm. in imaginary circumstances. Mm -hmm. So that's why you go to drama school, to come across (laughs) as real, not to come across as phony. (laughs) So in real life, what you want to do is appreciate that you have a text, mm-hmm. something, especially if you're going into a meeting. You can manipulate how people will respond by, for example, how you create your text. Let me give you an example. So this, in a way, would be script writing, to use this metaphor. There are forms of rhetoric that I'm sure many people know about. If I were to say, Nick, you have mm-hmm. to go to the store. Nick, you have to buy bread. Nick, you have to buy butter. That kind of repetition, that first of all, that's a triad. That's three things. Mm -hmm. That is a a useful thing to know. It can frequently, you can see people using that. It can give you some more energy in your talk. But it's also, the fancy word is anaphora, the same words at the beginning of a a phrase or a sentence. Mm -hmm. By creating certain rhetorical devices in your text itself, as a script, that will help your delivery. Even if you're not delivering it, quote unquote, brilliantly, just saying one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, will help things cement and connect with your audience. So that's one thing. Again, how you appear, 
you obviously intuitively know that you're going to go to a job interview, usually appearing the way you think it would be useful for you to get the job. That is a performance. And probably most importantly, when you say something, actors learn to say something in order to change the other person. That's why they have a line in a play. Mm -hmm. That is what you're trying to do in real life. Even if you're saying, I'd like a cup of coffee, you're trying to change the other person. They're mm -hmm. not going to bring you a cup of water. They're going to bring you coffee. So you really are saying something to get through to that other person. And once you do that, a lot of your self-consciousness disappears and you start becoming more effective because people feel that they are important to you. And before I get to my last question, I just really quickly want to get your thoughts. Um, we got a question in from uh, Lewis. So Lewis asked, should we acknowledge our mistakes, essentially? So if we're fumbling through a word or something, should we say sorry or my mistake or something? Should we acknowledge that when we're presenting in front of Okay, so this is a great, uh, there's no set answer to that, but let me give you an answer. So let me go through various levels of apology. First, I just want to say, John, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Your name's not John. Oh, I'm such a terrible person. I don't know what to do. So that we don't need that kind of apology. That's the first thing. That's then there might be, and and you're you had a life as a newscaster, so we'll get to that in a moment. Then we have the second level of apology, which is not quite that. Something like, oh, John, I'm so sorry. I meant Nick. Mm -hmm. Then the third level, oh, John, Nick. Mm -hmm. And then you get to even see what happens in that third level is you stop breathing. You start punishing yourself mm -hmm. by not really taking a breath. But ultimately, if you see people on television, they'll say, well, John, Nick, I think what we should do, they don't necessarily apologize for it at all. And they don't mm -hmm. necessarily feel apologetic. Why? Because most of the people in the audience go give a darn. They want you to get on with it. Mm -hmm. Now, I can imagine a situation where the content of what you've said demands an apology. Yes, of course, you're going to mm -hmm. say, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, to say that. I appreciate the sensitivity of this. But that has to do with content. If it has to do with you psychologically feeling, oh, I have to apologize, as they say in The Godfather Part <laughs> 1, forget about it. Or I guess maybe that's good fellas. So, because nobody's really interested they want you to get on with it. And your confidence, it's fine for you to say, mistake, go on, without the apology. I'm definitely guilty of butchering a name or two here or there. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you do it. And, and, and you can correct it. Mm -hmm. But you don't necessarily need to take the time to, to share with the world and ask for their forgiveness, as if you've just done the worst thing ever. Of course. Well, David, thank you. Thank you so much. And one last thing, if you would kind of reach out to our, our audience and give them one piece of advice or one thing to walk away with when they're thinking about their next presentation in front of a group of folks, what would that one thing be? Wow. One thing I would say, enjoy yourself. Enjoy the performance because the word enjoyment means you're breathing, you're loose, you have full expression. You want to connect with somebody else and you want them to join in the fun. Perfect. Well, David, thank you My so pleasure. much. Audience, thank you for all your questions. We appreciate you listening and watching in today and have a great rest of your afternoon. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss new episodes as they are released wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about managing presentation anxiety and speaking in front of large crowds, 
Check out the episode notes for more information on Professor Fellshoe's Executive Presence Online Certificate Program. Thank you for listening.